Hello and welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Most of the miracles Jesus performed are recorded in multiple Gospels. How many would you expect to appear in all four? Which ones and why? Teaching team member Caleb Click brings us this sermon entitled, The Shepherd Comes for His Sheep, which covers Mark chapter 6, verses 30 to 44. For more information and to watch or hear other sermons, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. We're going to be digging into a passage here in Mark chapter 6 that uh, it's a familiar one. I mean, when you're choosing a sermon and you are allowed to go anywhere, this might be one you skip because people have heard it a million times before. But, But for some reason, I kept coming back to this text. Because I'm convinced there is something here that people wearied by the year 2020 desperately need. Because when you come into Mark chapter 6, what you find are disciples who are tired. They've just come back from the first ministry without Jesus. They've proclaimed the kingdom. They've healed the sick. They've cast out demons in Jesus' name. And now they're back. And they're telling Jesus all the things that God has done. But Jesus looks at the disciples and Jesus realizes they're tired. And so Jesus says to them, come away with me by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. But as we're going to see, the rest that they expect, it's not the rest that they receive. Instead, What's waiting for them on the other side is something deeper and more profound, a rest that Jesus offers to each and every one of us this morning. Let's read this together, starting in verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And Jesus said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them. And they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place. And the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But Jesus answered them, you, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties and taking the five loaves and the two fish, Jesus looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. This is God's word. Let's pray. 
Gracious Father, Lord, we're so thankful that we come to a God who delights to provide for his people everything that they need. And so, Lord, we ask as we come into your word this morning, would you feed us richly? Lord, would you take the crumbs that I have here and, Lord, would you multiply them for your glory and for our good? And would you give us eyes to see your son in all of his radiant beauty and glory and goodness? And may we see him as the one who has come to seek and to save us. We pray this in his precious name. Amen. You know, as most of you know, Mallory and I, we just welcomed our fourth little girl. And she is, is beautiful, all eight pounds and one ounce of her. But as every new parent or parent who's old and still just remembers the old days knows, uh, children, while they are a blessing from God and a precious gift and all those other things, uh, they are also heat-seeking missiles that seek and destroy rest. Uh, they're these little ninjas that seemingly have this sort of programmed in sixth sense where they know, they know the precise moment that you as a parent are settling down on the couch and think that maybe, just maybe, you're gonna have a moment to relax and peace and quiet. Maybe watch a movie, maybe have an adult conversation. Children, they sense that. I swear, they're like waiting by the door for that moment to come. And then they all come down the stairs and try to do something to disrupt that moment. And no matter what you do, no matter how hard you seek it, rest always seems to be this thing that you were always wanting and never getting. You try to schedule shifts in the night when one of you will sleep and the other one will watch out for the child. You think maybe in the morning, I'll wake up in the wee hours when it's dark and no one other than me would wanna be awake. Surely that will be a quiet spot. You think maybe at night when all the kids have gone down, that will be a moment when there will be peace and there will be quiet. And yet in every nook and cranny, there seems to be the child crying, needing, wanting something. And you find yourself in this cycle where you were always tired and yet never resting. And yet every morning, no matter how tired you are, and this gets worse the more kids you add, by the way, no matter how tired you are, the same call is still there. You are still their parent, and they are still your child, and they still need you. And they don't care how exhausted you are. And so the question comes, what do you do? What do you do when the rest you need is rest you can't find? What do you do in those moments when the demands are greater than your resources? Those are the questions facing the disciples in our text this morning. Because they're tired and they want rest. And yet the rest that they want, it is rest that they can't seem to find. They've come away at the invitation of Jesus to a desolate place thinking they're gonna escape the crowd and finally find some time to sit down and eat some food, which as a man who thinks with his stomach sounds like something really nice. But when they go to the other side, there's the crowd. They've brought their friends and their family and their neighbors, and they've all decided to show up on the other side because they don't care about the needs of the disciples. They just care about what they can get from Jesus. And the rest they think they're gonna get, it's not rest that's there on the other side of that sea. And Jesus, the person who invited them to cross the sea and rest, Jesus starts behaving strangely. 
in a way that makes you wonder if he even remembers the disciples at all. And yet as we're gonna see, that strangeness is revealing. Because Jesus, Jesus isn't indifferent to the needs of the disciples in this moment. Jesus is meeting a deeper, a deeper need than they even know they have. And in this moment, to people who are weary of this world and sin, to people who feel as though they have come to the end of themselves, Jesus right here in Mark 6, he is lifting the veil and he is showing to us the place where true rest, rest that circumstances and our own personal resources can never touch, rest that is true and abiding and permanent, he is showing us where that kind of rest is actually found. It's not found out there in the world. It's not found in ourselves. What Jesus says is it is found in the arms of the shepherd who can take even desolate places and transform them into an oasis of peace for his people. The compassionate shepherd who cares for you and the divine shepherd who provides for his people every single thing they need. It's that compassion that shows itself in verses 30 to 34. Jesus reveals himself as the compassionate shepherd who cares for you and for me. You know, B.B. Warfield wrote a little book, this tiny book, I recommend it to every one of you, um, that has changed the way I think of Jesus because what he argues in this little book called The Emotional Life of Jesus, uh, it's that there is one emotion there is one emotion that more than any other is commonly attributed to Jesus in the Gospels. And it's not the one that you have come to expect from people. It's not anger. It's not frustration. It's not sorrow. It's not sadness. It's not worry. It's not fear. It's not even joy or happiness. Warfield says, no, the, the one emotion that is most commonly attributed to Jesus in the Gospels by the people who knew him best, it's this, it's compassion. It's an internal feeling of pity that is aroused by the needs of others that expresses itself in an external act of provision. And it is a reality that dominates the life of Jesus. Where for you and I, anger, is often that emotion that is sitting right there beneath the surface and is threatening to break out at the slightest provocation. For Jesus, for Jesus, that emotion, it's compassion. He is quite literally compelled to move when he sees the needs of others. And you see it all through this text. You see it first with the disciples. You know, notice in this text, the disciples, they come to Jesus and they tell him all about what they've just done in ministry, but they don't mention their needs at all, do they? How do we know in this text that the disciples are tired? It's because Jesus tells you they are. Jesus sees the crowd. Jesus sees the demands they're making on the disciples. Jesus recognizes that his friends, they haven't had a chance to eat. And Jesus is so moved by what he sees, Jesus cannot simply stand still. And so Jesus moves to meet the need, even a need they may not have recognized yet themselves. 
And so Jesus says to his disciples, verse 31, come away by yourselves and rest a while. Come to a desolate place. Come be alone. Come escape the crowd. Find a place where you can finally sit and enjoy a meal. Why? Because he cares. But the compassion of Jesus, where it's not explicitly laid out there with the disciples, it's explicit in what happens next with the crowd, isn't it? And this is the group you would least expect to find that compassion. You know, I, I did youth ministry for nine years in some form or fashion. And a major portion of youth ministry is that you are constantly taking students on retreats and mission trips. Uh, when I was at First Pres, it literally felt like we were doing two or three of these a semester. It was just a constant rotation of trips. And I absolutely loved them. I loved getting to see what the Lord was doing. I loved the students. I loved seeing kids confronted with the gospel. But there is really nothing sweeter. There is nothing sweeter than getting to the end of that trip putting the last kid into the arms of their parents and then returning the rental van to the place from which you rented it. And then getting in your car and driving home and knowing I'm about to be in a place where there are no more demands. There's no more children, no more needs. It will be quiet and it will be peaceful. And this never happened to me. But if I ever came home from one of those trips and waiting in my driveway were all the students that I thought were with their parents now, sitting there waiting and wanting something. I don't care if I was in my most sanctified state ever. I don't think I would have responded positively to that moment. I would have at the very least groaned and maybe even yelled and probably said something unpleasant to myself. I can't imagine that the disciples aren't internally going, oh, you've got to be kidding me. Because what would you feel if you had just done all of this work and you've been promised a vacation, you're coming away to a desolate place, and what do you see across the sea? 5,000 people who want something from you. And yet notice this. Notice how Jesus responds. Jesus is tired too. And we, we sometimes minimize his humanity and we do that at our own loss. Jesus is tired. The same crowds have been pressing on him. He too has not been able to eat. Mark explicitly tells you that earlier in the gospel. And yet here's Jesus, tired just like we are at the moment when our masks of compassion and care usually start to crumble and fall away. And yet what emotion do we see coming from Jesus? Like it's the most natural thing of all. Not frustration, there's not even a sigh. It just says in verse 34 that Jesus' reflexive response to the crowd is he sees them. Verse 34, he had compassion on them. In the Greek, it's literally his heart was moved towards them because he looked at the crowd and he saw sheep without a shepherd. Jesus looks at the crowd and he sees people lacking the most important thing of all. They have no one to lead them, no one to guide them, 
No one to protect them from those who would hurt them. No one to pick them up when they are wounded and to care for them. No one to feed them when they are hungry. No one to comfort them when they are sad. He sees people who have been bruised and battered by false shepherds like the scribes and Pharisees whose rules and regulations have blinded them to the love of God that is there for them. And so Jesus, in his compassion, Jesus moves to meet the need. He shepherds them. Look at what he does. It says he began to teach them many things. To people who had been bruised and battered by a corruption of true religion, Jesus teaches the good news of a kingdom where the poor are blessed and the humble are raised up and sinners are saved, a kingdom that centers on him. And that heart, that tender heart that is constantly being moved with compassion at the needs of his people, it's a heart that leads Jesus straight to the cross because Jesus cannot bear the sight of sinners condemned, and so Jesus moves to meet the need. Even on the cross, even in the moment when Jesus is in his greatest agony, you see that same heart constantly being concerned with the needs of other people more than he's concerned with his own. He looks out at the crowd, the very crowd that crucified him. And what is it that Jesus prays for them? Not Father, condemn them, Jesus looks at the crowd and he prays, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He looks down from the cross and he sees his mother who is weeping at the sight of her son. And Jesus, he doesn't turn his face away and think I've got more important things to deal with right now. Jesus looks at his mom and then he looks at his disciple John next to him and he says, John, you take care of my mother. At every moment, at every step of the way, Jesus shows himself to be a compassionate shepherd who is attentive to the smallest needs of the smallest person and who never, ever looks at anyone as an inconvenience. That's a hard truth for us to believe, isn't it? You know, when I was a kid growing up, I grappled really hard with depression. It would come in waves, but there were moments where it felt like I was down in this pit that I just could not escape. And yet, for some reason, I felt like there was nobody I could talk to about it. Because I was afraid that if I told people what was going on and what I was thinking and what I was feeling, People would look at me and they would see someone who was pathetic and weak and broken and they would look at my need and they would see it as an inconvenience and they would not care enough for me to actually want to move to meet that need. And so, like a fool, I stayed quiet. Sometimes I think that same fear keeps us from coming to Jesus. Because we have this misguided belief that I think is whispered to us by Satan himself that says that our needs are somehow a weight that is pulling away at his affection. 
that our brokenness is a burden to Jesus. It is something that he maybe puts up with, but if it grows too great, then that's the moment that Jesus is gonna walk away. But I want you to see what Mark 6 and all the gospels are saying about Jesus. The Jesus of our imagination may be one who is burdened by our needs, but the Jesus of the gospel, he is one whose affection is actually inflamed by our needs. Need doesn't repulse Jesus. Need draws Jesus. Richard Sibbs, one of my favorite writers, he puts it this way. He says, misery is a magnet for Christ's mercy. His heart is compelled to move and meet the needs of people when he sees them. That's the heart of Jesus. And that's not just the heart of him in his ministry on earth. That is the heart he has in heaven still. Which means there is never a moment that Jesus is indifferent to your needs. There is never a moment when Jesus looks at you and thinks you are an inconvenience. Instead, Jesus looks at you and responds the exact same way he responds to the crowd. His heart is moved within him because he sees someone who is like sheep without a shepherd and he would be that shepherd for you. Jesus is the compassionate shepherd who cares for his sheep. But that compassion, it shows itself sometimes in strange ways. And the disciples experienced that right here. Jesus in his compassion has led them to this desolate place to escape the crowd and to eat some food. And now none of that has happened. The crowd is still there. The food is still something they have not eaten. And you have to give the disciples credit. They're quiet about it for a little while. They don't grumble, they don't complain. But then it says later in the day when the hour had grown late in verse 35, they finally decide, you know what? I think we've had enough. Jesus, you need to do something. And I don't want us to miss what's happening here. The disciples don't give Jesus a request. The disciples give Jesus a command right here. Look at what it says. When it grew late, verse 35, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the hour is now late, which is you know, their kind way of saying, hey preacher, you've talked too long. Shut up now. Send them away. There's the command. To go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Jesus, you gotta hear the subtle hint. Jesus, don't you remember why you brought us to the desolate place? Jesus, you brought us here to get away from the crowd and now the crowd is here and guess what? They're hungry too, which hint, hint, so are we. Send them away. We want rest. And Jesus, Jesus responds in a way that reveals something even better still. He's not just the compassionate shepherd who cares for his sheep. He's the divine shepherd who provides for his sheep every single thing that they would require. But he does it, he does it strangely. He looks at the disciples in verse 37 and he doesn't say, you know what? That sounds like a good idea. Let me send the crowd away. Instead, Jesus turns to them and he gives a command of his own. He says, you, you give them something to eat. Now, if I'm a disciple, at that moment, this is when the wheels come off in my train of thought because I don't even know what to do with that. 
And you can kind of sense their frustration and confusion with what Jesus just said, because look how they respond. Jesus, shall we, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread, basically spend more money than we probably have and give it to them to eat? Do you want us, the tired people, to run around all the villages and all the countryside collecting all of this food that's gonna cost us about seven months of wages for a normal person and then bring it back here? Is that really what you're asking us to do? Because that, that doesn't sound reasonable. And then Jesus responds in an even stranger way still, as he always seems to do. He loves confusing his disciples for the point with, to make a point. This is just Jesus's way. He does it with us too. He said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. Now let's, let's not miss what just happened here. There are two problems the disciples were facing before they crossed the sea. One of them was the crowd that Jesus is now refusing to dismiss. The other one was what? Food, which Jesus is now asking them to give him for the crowd. There is, in that request, an implicit question. Jesus is looking at his disciples who are having their whole concept of where rest is found turned on his head. And Jesus is saying, do you trust me? Will you give me the little that you have? And will you trust me to provide what you need? And the disciples the disciples actually do it. You know, they screw up a lot in the gospels. We're constantly seeing the recordings of their failures, but right here, they hear Jesus and they go, we don't understand it, but we'll do it. Look at what it says. You see their faith through this entire thing. Jesus said, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when the disciples had found out, they said five loaves and two fish. Then Jesus commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, Jesus looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and a fish and those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. You know, I love the quietness of this miracle. There are only two miracles that are recorded in every single one of the gospels. One of them is the resurrection. The other one is this one, which tells you this is one of the most significant miracles that Jesus performs. And yet, do you notice something really odd? Jesus calls absolutely no attention to it. He doesn't announce it to the crowd. He doesn't even tell the disciples what he's doing. He just says, bring me the bread and sit people down. In fact, from the text, you have no indication the crowd even realizes a miracle is happening. As far as they know, that bread was in the boat. And now Jesus is handing it out. But there's one group who knows what's happening. And it's the group, it's the group that gave him the bread and the loaves. 
Because the disciples, they know exactly what they gave Jesus. And they know exactly what they are receiving in return. And what they gave him that was barely enough to feed themselves and what they are receiving in return, it is enough not just for them and not just for the crowd, but for even more besides. Jesus has provided in full. You know, I, I wanted to preach this text because this for me, as I know it's been for I mean, everybody in this room, it's been an exhausting year. You know, if you had told me at the start of 2020, Caleb, this is gonna be a year when in one week you're gonna go from one hospital with one daughter thinking she has a tumor and having it cut out and then spend three days there and then have one day break and then find yourself in another hospital and you'll be welcoming another daughter. And you had told me that that was my year. I'd have been like, all right, that, wow, heavy year. Um, but that sounds like a full year. That's eventful enough for me. And yet 2020, that's just been the cherry on top. You know, 20 years from now, we're all, if someone says to us, do you remember 2020? It's only gonna be people who were born in this year who are gonna go like, I don't, what are you talking about? All of us are gonna remember. You know, they're already talking about this being one of those moments that for our generation is gonna be like Pearl Harbor was for a previous one or 9-11 for the one after that. Except it wasn't just one moment, it's been a year. Where wave after wave after wave of things have happened. You've had pandemics and social unrest and political unrest and economic unrest. We've lost family members and loved ones. We've lost businesses and retirements. We have seen all these things that we trusted in and put our hope in. We've seen them all flipped upside down and twisted on their head. And things, things that should never be torn apart feel like they're getting torn apart every day. We've got division in our culture and division in our nation and probably worse still, there is division right now that is rife in the church of God. And all, all the normal means of rest, they've either been denied us or they have been somehow subtly transformed. This year has been like being in a pressure cooker where somebody forgot to install the release valve. And there's nowhere that I feel that more acutely than in what we're doing right here this morning. God has given his people this incredible gift called corporate worship where we physically gather together to hear from him, be fed by him, to be nourished by him, where we are with the body of Christ, our brothers and sisters, those who have been made one in Christ. And it is this source of rest and refreshment and renewal for us. And yet, as every one of us knows, no matter whether we're physically here or here digitally, this is not normal. If you're at home, the fact that we can still do this in a time when it's frankly still necessary, it's good, but it's not the way it's supposed to be. We're not meant to be alone in our homes. We're meant to be gathered with the people of God. But even in this room, we're physically gathered, but this is still not the way things used to be, is it? I mean, I'm a preacher, and I'm gonna tell you something. Not seeing your faces is weird, super weird. It's really hard to read eyes. 
It's weird not being able to stop and greet friends and give people hugs and constantly being anxious about what you might be communicating or passing on to somebody. It's just odd. And more than any year in the past, I have found myself, and I don't think I'm alone in this, going to Jesus and going, Jesus, I am just absolutely exhausted. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, I am wiped out and I don't know what to do. And I don't even feel like I have enough for myself, let alone for other people. What would you want me to do? Jesus, Jesus in Mark 6 says, here's your answer. You come to me and you give me what little you have. Even if it's only five loaves and two fishes. Because I'm the one who can and will multiply it for my glory and for your good. And you might go, well, why, why would I trust Jesus with that? Because of who the loaves reveal Jesus to be. That's the crux of the miracle. If you walk away from this miracle and you think the really big important part is that some people got their bellies filled, you've missed the point. There's a reason that as Mark continues in his gospel, he refers back to this miracle repeatedly. That Jesus himself at one point looks at his disciples in a moment of unbelief and he says, did you not understand the bread? Did you not understand when I fed the 5,000 and then later the 4,000 with a few loaves and a few fishes? Did, did you not comprehend it? Having ears, did you not hear? And eyes, did you not see? Because the bread, in the Hebrew religion, bread is a significant thing. Bread symbolized the presence of God in the temple. Bread was this thing that you broke and you ate at every Passover meal when you celebrated God's deliverance of his people from slavery in Egypt. But more significant than either of those things, there's this, bread. Bread is that thing. When God's people were walking through the wilderness in the Exodus, living in a desolate place, which by the way, this text has told you they're in three different times. Bread is that thing that in compassion, God rained down from heaven, heaven when his people could not provide for themselves. So that every morning, they would wake up and there on the ground would be a tangible, visual, visual expression of God's care for his people. An announcement that the God who delivered them from slavery, he was a God who was with them still. A shepherd who was near his sheep and who had not abandoned them and had not forsaken them and was providing for them even in the moment of their distress. Jesus is deliberately echoing that miracle right here with one massive difference. This time, the divine shepherd is staring them in the face. And with every morsel of bread that is being passed from Jesus's hand to the disciples and from the disciples to the crowd, Jesus is saying, I am not another shepherd like David or like Moses as good as they were. I'm not someone who just represents God to you. I am the Lord and I have come for my sheep and everything you need, I am here to provide and provide it in full. 
and the disciples, they miss it. Literally just a few verses later in verse 52, it says that in the hardness of their heart, they did not understand the bread. They can't see it. But after Jesus' death and resurrection, the veil lifts and they see it. And they want us to see it too. Because how does Mark start this gospel? Mark 1 verse 1 doesn't say the good news of Jesus, some guy I met and whose identity I'm still trying to figure out. What does Mark 1 verse 1 say? The good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And you see that realization in the very details that Mark chooses to use in this text. You know, isn't it strange that in a text that is all about our need for a shepherd, in a moment when the people are weary and wanting, when Jesus has just led his disciples across the water, and in a few moments, he's gonna take a storm and still it so that there's still water. In a text where he prepares a table before them quite literally, isn't it strange that Mark, a gospel writer who is famous for not giving a lot of detail, isn't it strange that he makes a point to tell you that they sat down, not just in the grass, but in the green grass? Does all of that sound familiar to you? I can't prove it. But I think Mark, Mark is saying with every stroke of his pen, the shepherd of Psalm 23 He's here. And if he is ours and we are his, then no matter what we are facing, there is nothing that we will ever want. Because the one who makes us lie down in green pastures, the one who leads us beside still waters, the one who restores our souls, who leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake, the one who says that even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, through the valley of COVID and unrest and brokenness and pain and separation and division, even though you walk through this world that has been marred by sin, you need fear no evil. Why? Because I am with you, who prepares a table before you in the presence of your enemies in your worst circumstances, gives you what you need, and who has given you not just a table like the one you see in Mark 6, but an even better one where through bread and wine, he says, here is my body and my blood broken and shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins, that you would be made whole, that death would not be an end, but instead a pathway into eternal life. Who said, surely I will be with you to the end of the age. Even as Psalm 23 says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow you to the end of the age. Jesus follows us around. He's here. And if he is ours and we are his, then no matter what our circumstances, no matter how exhausted and broken we may feel, no matter how we, little we may think we have, if we have him, we have everything. Jesus in Mark 6, he says, you want to know where rest is? It's in me. I'm not just the compassionate shepherd, I'm the divine one. My daughter Maggie, she is willing to rest in a lot of people's arms for a little while. 
She'll snuggle her head in. She'll even close her eyes. She might even sleep a little. But there's only one set of arms that she is ever truly at peace in. And it's not mine. It's her mom's. Because in the arms of her mother, she has someone who doesn't just care for her. She has someone who can provide for her the thing she needs, a thing a dad can't provide. Mark 6. Mark 6 says the same thing is true for us. We can run around looking for rest and a bunch of other things. And we might get it for a moment. But the rest that we need rest that takes even the valley of the shadow of death and makes it a green pasture, that's only in the arms of this shepherd. The compassionate shepherd who cares for you and the divine shepherd who provides for you all that you need, even redemption from sin and death. There's only one response to this text. It's to come to Jesus and to give him what little you have. Even if it doesn't even feel like five loaves and two fishes and all it feels like are crumbs that have fallen down on the ground by the table. And to place them in his hands and then to watch and wonder as he multiplies them for his glory and your good. Because there is one who cares for you and he has provided for you in ways we will experience in deeper, deeper reality still on the day of his return. Let's go to him in prayer. Gracious Father, Lord, you have given us a gift in your son. Even as we speak of his compassion and his provision, Lord, ultimately it is a compassion and provision that comes from you. You are the one who sent the son and he willingly went and you have drawn us through your spirit. You have sealed it to our hearts. We pray, Lord, you seal it in greater ways still. Would we know the love, compassion, and care of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit And would you do this in Jesus' name? Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Sermon Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and to find other sermons from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.